everybody, this is Stephanie Krupsack with Person and Planet Podcast. With me today, I have Chris Corkery. Chris Corkery is the owner and CEO of 100 Acre, Milwaukee's largest indoor vertical hydroponic farm, providing fresh greens and herbs that are harvested weekly and distributed locally year-round to support a more resilient supply chain. They sell to school system, universities, stadiums, hotels, restaurants, and grocers. Corkery is a recent New York transplant three-time career changer, media exec, professional chef, social entrepreneur, and urban farmer on a mission to reinvent the food system. So thanks so much for being here today. Thanks. Thank you very much for having me, especially inside the farm. Yeah, yeah. So we're actually here on site today, so we'll definitely have some pictures, maybe some video clips to share later. (laughs) So tell us a little bit more about your background in food systems. Yeah, um, my background sort of started unintentionally uh, just for a, a paycheck working in hospitality. Um, at 13, I jumped into washing dishes at an Irish pub, uh, which I don't think you can even do legally anymore, but um, you know, getting paid cash under, under the table. And um, frankly, that kind of blossomed into the, the entire experience of, of um, working in a restaurant and what it means to work uh, in, in the world of food and, and serving people. Um, you know, I did a lot of the uh, front of house stuff to start with and engaging with folks and learning about fine dining. And, and then eventually I it transitioned into um, you know, becoming a chef, a professional chef in New York City uh, and, and kind of getting that full circle understanding of all things that live under our restaurant, not just the business of it, but really the, the symbolism and, and the experience and how it's an anchor in a community. Mm-hmm. And tell us more about your newest project here in Milwaukee, 100 Acre. Sure, yeah. As you said, um, 100 Acre is uh, an indoor vertical hydroponic operation. Um, and those three words are sort of the, the key attributes of what we do. And um, breaking it down indoor, uh, for us, it's not a greenhouse or, or uh, you know, an otherwise um, you know, hoop house type system. It's a, it's a controlled environment. Uh, so we're uh, operating a facility here in this warehouse that uh, every day is 72 degrees with perfect levels of uh, humidity, light, uh, CO2 uh, that recreate Mother Nature. So essentially it's, it's, a, it's a summer day every day uh, that the plants prefer um, that allow us for, for consistent year-round growing. So that's the indoor aspect. Um, and then vertical uh, we, we grow five levels high in a racking system, so we're more efficient with the use of land per square foot. We grow in cubic feet, so instead of one square foot growing one plant, let's say, we, we grow five plants because we're stacked five high. And then hydroponics is really uh, the, the agricultural process of growing without soil in a nutrient-rich water. So there's no soil inside our farm. It's very clean. Uh, the seeds are suspended in a... Uh, a medium where our nutrient solution, uh, which we like to call our secret sauce, it kind of uh, continuously runs over our seeds and all of these things combined provide uh, an optimized um, experience for our production, for the plants to grow. And what it results in is us growing about two and a half times quicker than uh, a traditional outdoor farm. So what typically takes around 10 weeks, it takes four weeks. Um, so we're, we're pretty excited about how we can do that quicker and year-round here in Wisconsin. 
Yeah, that's great because we do have a very short growing season <laughs> with the cold weather. Indeed, and the hot weather, believe yeah. it or not. <laughs> oh, that's true, too. Yeah, we did have a bit of a drought this year as well. Yeah, so, yeah. But we got some rain this past week, which yes. is good. Yes. I did see in an interview with WTMJ that your facility actually uses 95% less water than traditional farming. So that's really, that's huge. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a, a misconception that uh, hydroponics is a water-intensive uh, operation. Um, now, that's all relative. Um, yes, we use a lot of water compared to a shoe store. Um, <laughs> but compared to a typical farm, we, yeah, we use about 95% less because it's a closed-loop system with almost zero uh, loss, uh, with the exception of our, our plants perspiring. Uh, which is a great thing. And that's super important too, as we look to the future in, in water conservation techniques. Yeah, definitely. That is an issue as well. And I know that you did mention a couple other great facts and some programs that you're doing that you have an edible learning program that you work with local schools. Yes. Yeah. So uh, a big personal passion behind opening up this facility and what I envision for the future um, it is around how it is accessible to the community, uh, all communities. Um, we designed the space specifically so that the outside can come in and, and look at what we're doing. And that's how farms used to be, uh, but that's not really how they are run anymore, whether they're uh, operated by massive uh, conglomerates um, in far off places that you can't get to, or more relevantly in our current space, uh, the ag tech industry, as people call it, it's, it's a very closed wall procedure, right? It's guarded heavily with um, intellectual property and technology. That's not really our mantra here. That's definitely not our ethos and how, we, um, how we, we do business. And we design this specifically so that folks can come in. Uh, we have this beautiful event space. We have a showing room. All the while, the plants inside the farm itself are protected because food safety and security is our utmost top priority, right? We, we grow food for a living at the end of the day and we can't compromise that. All that comes together to allow for the outside to come in. And last spring, um, we launched a curriculum called Edible Learning with a school on the south side called Escuela Verde, where students um, over an eight-week period come in and once a week and learn the different stages of what it means to grow in an urban setting uh, from seed to sale. And that typically is not possible for a lot of these students. Uh, one, because farms might be far off, but more importantly, typically farms are not opened during the school year, right, in this part of the country. So we're giving the, this, this student group uh, a unique opportunity only five minutes away from their school to experience this. Uh, in the dead of winter. And why we call it edible learning, and this is probably the more exciting aspect, is they don't just learn how to farm. Back at the school, at Escuela Verde, they have a student-run cafe called New Line, where they take their harvest, they prepare the food, and then they sell it to the public. So they're learning a full-on uh, 360 business ecosystem around food from seed to growing to culinary arts to preparation, finance, and ultimately sale. And to me, that's pretty exciting for teenagers. Yeah, that sounds like a really excellent program. Like all of it encompassed into one. And then you also distributed salads to communities in the area too for one of your programs? Yes, so um, one of the things that we were trying to figure out when opening this facility, um, knowing that it cost us a lot more money 
frankly, to, to grow our food compared to a traditional farm since those resources are uh, typically free, like the sun. We pay for our lights. Um, Good point. We're, yeah, we're, we're going to have to um, you know, charge a little more. Um, but in exchange, how do, how do we justify that? Well, it's around the, um, you know, the year-round guarantee of a high-quality local product. And um, that's great. That's, that's what helps us pay the bills. And, and, and that's how we've established such a vast network of, of partners who, who purchase our food uh, on the higher end. But how do we actually address food security or insecurity um, by getting some of our nutrient-rich product to the local area? And we found this incredible partnership with Feeding America Eastern Wisconsin um, at the beginning of our, our launch. Literally, our first harvest went to Feeding America Eastern Wisconsin. Um, and, and through that process, over the course of 2022, we managed to grow and, and distribute locally uh, tw just under 20,000 salad portions to the underserved communities. Uh, for me, that's, that's, a, that's a win because um, not only did we establish a unique business partnership between local, reliable indoor farm and, a, and, the, and the state's largest food bank, but we got a perishable product that food banks typically don't have access to into the hands of the end users. It's very rare for, for produce and, you know, between veggies and fruits to get to food banks because they're, they, they tend to expire. Um, and, and that kind of creates a gap in nutrients. So we were providing a, you know, food as medicine solution last year. Again, about just under 20,000 salad portions in our first year of operation. That's huge. And I think a lot of people maybe don't know the fact that as soon as you pick an item from a garden, it starts to lose nutrients immediately. So the faster you get in the hands of people eating it, the better. So that's a fun fact. Yes, it is. That's a, that's a great thing to think about. And uh, another thing, not to, to plug hydroponics too much for, for folks that are not familiar with it out there, but um, because we're growing um, with a, uh, a heavier uh, use of water into the plants themselves, the plants are, are, are taking in more water. They have a longer shelf life as a result compared to typical uh, soil-based crops. Um, so that nutrients is preserved in our method of growing. And no, we did not invent that, but we're just kind of riding <laughs> mm -hmm. on that. Okay. Yeah. It's very interesting. Well, I know too with soil, if it's not properly, you know, added, adding nutrients back into it um, with fertilizers and things in a natural method if possible, is there ever been a study that's been done on, let's say, salad grown in dirt versus hydroponics? Because you are, yeah, pumping these nutrients in, like you said. And this is maybe putting you on the spot, but I've been kind of curious about that. No, that there, question. there, there, of course, is are sort of punits on on both uh, sides of the fence. Um, you know, the the traditionalist, which frankly I am, I, I, I like I like Mother Nature and old school methods of farming or just being on a farm, the air, the dirt. Um, you know, sadly, that's that's going away beyond my control. But you know, there's there's a lot that you get out of a traditional uh, method of farming. If if it's all things equal and pure, um, you can't match what Mother Nature, uh, in you know, naturally intends to do. the The problem is is that <laughs> we've kind of uh, prevented that from happening at this point. So the natural process is not really. Uh, there and that's the whole organic movement, um, but that's even become quite a confusing, expensive uh, issue. So you know what we're doing here. You know everything is all natural. We do uh, obviously add nutrients to our 
our, our water, but there's no, you know, um, you know nothing harmful uh, in terms of treating the water, uh, no additives, um, no pesticides, no herbicides, no GMOs. You know, it's very basic things, uh, you know, chemical compounds like, like phosphorus and, and, and nitrous and stuff going in. So um, it's still pretty pure and natural. And, you know, the, the jury is out. Uh, we, d we have not gotten into the world of deep science and how <laughs> our plant mm -hmm. leaves, um, you know, look under a microscope compared to the other farms. Yeah. I'm sure it'll happen, though, but it's kind of a curious topic. But... Yeah, and we just talked about this a few minutes ago that I recently watched a study where they soaked vegetables that had pesticides on them in various bowls with things, and one had apple cider vinegar, one just had plain water, one had baking soda and water, and the baking soda and water one actually removed all of the pesticide contaminants on the outside within 30 seconds. So that's kind of a, a fun tip for listeners that if you're cleaning your vegetables, add the baking soda. <laughs> Absolutely. I highly recommend so, that. Mm -hmm. um, another fun fact, though, is that uh, with our method of growing, uh, we're a single-cut facility with zero washing, uh, including in your own home. Uh, we follow a, a pretty strict uh, series of, of food safety guidelines as it relates to our, our crew, our, our farmers. But because we're a closed environment, um, we're not exposed to those outdoor elements that can otherwise contaminate your food, whether it's the air, animals, the soil, insects, pests, so on and so forth. You know, we have a very tight space, and as a result, you know, there's zero washing with our product. Now, you're welcome to do that, but it's not necessary because it really does come to you in its purest form. That's great. Yeah, that saves water, too. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> So roughly how many pounds of product do you produce a year with your facility? That's a great question. Um, and just taking a step back, you know, at this, at this farm, we currently grow two products. Uh, the first is a, a salad blend. Uh, it's become our signature unexpectedly um, uh, just because of its, its quality uh, for, for multiple users. And... Um, the second thing we grow is a large leaf Italian basil, which is just remarkable. I'll get to show you that shortly. So those are our two raw products. And um, throughout the course of a year, we, we grow just over 40,000 pounds in this little 3,000 square foot grow room, um, you know, which is a mix of, of, of those two things going out to our, our uh, partners. That's a lot of lettuce. I'm trying yeah, to imagine how many yeah. or what that would equate to. <laughs> what size. It would fill this warehouse. It would actually yeah. fill this warehouse, mm -hmm. yeah. It's <laughs> a lot of greens. Yeah, yeah. So another question I've been wondering, so how did you come about the name 100 Acre? Does it have any relation to Winnie the Pooh? Or <laughs> <laughs> you, spoiled the, you spoiled the punchline. Um, there's, there's a couple of reasons uh, since you asked. Yes, um, the symbolism of, of Winnie the Pooh and more so the story of uh, Christopher Robin with 100 Acre, uh, the 100 Acre Wood is, is where this, um, it's this land where, you know, these, these characters live and it's, you know, it's, it's imaginary and they represent different um, uh, stories. And we see this 100 acre operation here in Century City in the, in the center of Milwaukee being a bit of that, you know, imaginary um, concept, right, as a startup. Uh, but we're very much not imaginary. So it's, it's kind of like a dare to dream notion um, and, and having that perspective. The other reason for the name 
of uh, 100 acres, it's, it's a business goal. Um, we're hoping that within Milwaukee, um, greater Milwaukee um, area, that we open up a number of 100 acre facilities uh, that uh, end up producing the equivalent of 100 acres of traditional soil-based farming. And uh, to, to give you context, uh, this current farm uh, grows about uh, one-third of an acre uh, of soil-based farming. We, we produce about one-third of an acre. Meanwhile, we are only one-twentieth the size of an acre. So that's how much more efficient we are. So that we ultimately are hoping to open up enough of these farms that 100 acres worth of growing is occurring. Wow, that would be a lot of facilities. That very cool. <laughs> it would be, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very great. And then you mentioned you're launching, you recently launched Basil, and you have another new product coming out too? Yeah, so... Um, yeah, so we are we are launching a new product, but just to give you a little bit of a timeline on our on our overall product development, when we first opened in January 2022, um, it was with our with wholesale product, meaning our basil and our salad blend were going into these large bulk bags to other business customers, right? Um, well, you know, through through our community engagement and just our passion for serving uh, people, uh, you know end users, consumers have been asking for retail. So in the spring, this past spring, uh, we launched our salad blend in uh, retail packs on the store shelves of Outpost and Go Grocer here in Milwaukee. And um, we're now taking it to the next step uh, where our Italian basil will be launching this Friday uh, in, in those same store shelves. So you'll now see these two fresh leafy green products uh, typically harvested for 24 hours from when you are uh, picking them up uh, on store shelves weekly, 52 weeks a year, no matter what's going on outside. And I think something um, even more exciting for me personally as a professional chef, um, we are moving out a uh, collaboration uh, to uh, launch a Pesto with Purpose line at the end of this month. And um, it's a collaboration between farm and chef here in Milwaukee uh, with our basil going into their, their production process. Uh, and that also will be on this, the same store shelves and hopefully even more. And why is it called Pesto with Purpose? Well, aside from it being uh, produced through two local small businesses that support the community, uh, every proceeds from the sale of that product will be going back to uh, hunger relief organizations in the area to help fight food insecurity. So we're going to be developing a, a tracking process and how that money flows to help fund their purchasing power to buy more nutrient-rich food to go back to those most underserved. So you can now actually buy pesto with purpose here in Milwaukee, knowing it's made in, for, and by Milwaukee, and have some level of accountability of this being a reinvestment into your own neighborhood. I love that. So I can't wait to try it. <laughs> so going a bit backwards, so looking at your experiences you've had before opening 100 Acre, would you say there is one experience that really led you to create this or was it a combination of events? It's a culmination of things. And I always had a few irks <laughs> with, with how we treat the planet and treat each other. And, um, as it relates to resources and just respect. And I think food is, a, is the great equalizer. We all need to eat. It's always meant to bring people together. And um, 
and, and I thought, well, food would be a great medium to get into that line of business, whatever that business of food is. You could be a cook, you could be a delivery driver, you could be a food teacher. Um, I ended up right now becoming a farmer. Um, I thought it was a great medium to kind of bring people back together and also reestablish their relationship between planet and plate um, and have a better understanding of their impact on the overall environment. Um, so it was kind of always inside me to to want to do that. Uh, I think what reinforced that was becoming a chef in Manhattan uh, on, on low man on the totem pole. I was tasked with going into the farmers markets very very early in the morning, like 5:30 in the morning in in the city, and and sourcing the best fresh produce before it sold out and bringing it back to these these restaurants, bringing it back to my boss. That was a pretty cool experience because it literally was like an oasis. And people think New York City, farmer's market, no, nah, those can't go together. We have some of the, they have some of the best in the world uh, because they're coming out of Hudson Valley. They leave at two in the morning and they bring their product down and you're for, for a few hours before the city wakes up. You have this, you know, the birds are chirping and you got this fret, smell of fresh produce sitting around. And I got that experience while living there and I thought, well, that's really cool. And then I started to understand more about the, uh, you know, agricultural technology movement and, and the industry as a whole and thought, well, it'd be really cool to kind of bring one of these farm operations t into the inner city and offer that experience. And what does that business overall look like? And now here we are. Very cool. That does sound like a great experience when you're up early and you catch New York City in a different, different place and most people know it, so. Yeah, absolutely. So what would be your message to listeners on how they could help impact the environment and society? I mean, I'm not someone that has um, direction or answers on how individuals should live their life. Um, I think, you know, two big things I live by, uh, maybe in the philosophy of what drove me to open something like this right now is, you know, don't do to others what you don't want done to yourself. And that doesn't just mean people. Just keep thinking about the, the, the ground beneath you as a person. And, you know, would you throw litter at someone? That would be pretty weird and disrespectful. Um, you know, would you take something out of someone's pocket and, and, and not give something in return? That would be also pretty weird and disrespectful. So just try to think about, you know, your, your environment around you. And, and how, you know, th we need to live in a state of symbiosis. Um, that's one thing. Uh, th the second thing is, you know, try to always give back more than you take. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty good uh, way of living. And, and I promise you if, if you do that every day, it might feel a little painful sometimes. You'll see how, you know, it comes back to, to meet you in bigger ways, right? The idea of pay it forward. Um, and I think that's a big part of the farming philosophy going back many, many years ago, not decades, not hundreds of years, but like thousands of years ago, um, communities were built around a farm with that ethos. So just trying to get back to the basics. And again, food is a great equalizer and I think it can help, help ground us. Mm -hmm. I love that, all really great tips and yeah, things to really think about because yeah, the earth is a living, breathing thing trees you know have roots connecting and they can communicate and all these great things that we're learning fungi they can communicate it's like so many things that yeah we need to really preserve the environment because if it's not healthy we're not going to be healthy either so absolutely yeah, yeah.
very connected. So what is one sustainable or eco ritual that you do daily or weekly that you'd encourage listeners to try? An eco ritual. I've never heard of that. <laughs> um, I would say that my eco ritual is running outdoors barefoot. <laughs> um, it literally is, uh, it's a unique feeling. It's actually good for you from a, from a, um, a health standpoint, you know, working out, but, um, it, it gives you sort of this, uh, carefree, uh, spirit, uh, and, and reminder to connect you back to like the ground beneath you. It feels pretty good. I mean, I'm not talking about running on the <laughs> sidewalks and gla broken glass and asphalt. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, I happen to live near a, a park and, um, which is pretty wide open and, and yeah, running barefoot is my eco ritual, um, from a sustainability standpoint, waking up for work every day and, and leading the charge with hundred acre is my lifelong ritual. I mean, this is, I'm all in on this and, you know, pot committed and, you know, I don't, I don't see, you know, I see that me, me doing this until I, I, I can no longer, you know, live. And, um, that's my ritual is, is, is moving the, uh, the sustainable indoor farming movement forward within an urban setting that provides maximum access to the community on all fronts. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Cause you're, you're giving back and you're practicing these, um, rituals that help ground, as you said, where you're actually touching the earth because yeah, if you're in the city and yeah, asphalt and sidewalks, that doesn't count. You have to be actually physically touching the earth or maybe go hug a tree, <laughs> you know, just feeling that connection. Um, and then too, when you know where your food is coming from, that creates another connection with your food that, you know, where it's grown, it's local. That develops pathways for sustainability, um, giving people, uh, personal, you know, empowering folks with personal agency to know where their food is coming from, uh, where waste might be going to. Uh, that is, I think, the, the greatest uh, vision and, and drive towards sustainability because ultimately when you give someone uh, the choice to do the right thing, they will. And it just takes time. Yeah, exactly. Because as a consumers, what we purchase in stores right now, that's what we have to get to eat, right? If we don't have our own garden. So it's nice to have these better options. And then in reference to sustainability too, that you are local, that it's traveling a very short distance to get to you, that you're not looking at these transportation costs, the energy usage, the pollution from transportation and cars and trucks. So And the loss. Mm -hmm. The, yeah. the waste in transit because a percentage of it is always lost by the time it gets to you. True. Mm -hmm. Like 30%. Wow, it's that high. Yeah. With okay. leafy greens, it's that high. Really? Wow. That's why this is uh, an initiative that is starting to kind of really pop up everywhere around the country um, because the, the loss rates are so significant since our um, our supply chain is, is overstretched and kind of broken at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very high amount. Mm -hmm. So another fun question. Do you have a personal mantra or a theme song that gets you into a good state of mind or redirects your mindset to a good place? Um, when I was pulling the trigger on this project, meaning uh, from a business standpoint, kind of... Um, signing checks and going into the point of no return and putting on a hard hat and breaking ground and realizing, okay, this is all happening, uh, going into that. And, and then along the way, it was actually, uh, where the streets have no names by you too. 
Uh, it's a great little buildup. And, um, and it, I think it's a reminder that you kind of should, you know, whatever moves you, uh, you, you can, you know, really just break out and, and go for it. Uh, it's going to be scary. There's not going to be, uh, you know, necessarily a, a charted path with um, streets that have names <laughs> for you to make a left and right turn. Uh, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to feel lost, um, but just just keep kind of running, and um, and you know it'll it'll eventually kind of come together if you you know have the right um, commitment behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's with entrepreneurship in general. I think that it's very scary, risky, but you just have to do it and trust <laughs> that it'll work out. So, are there any books or podcasts that you'd recommend for listeners? Are there any books or podcasts? Um, I'm not uh, in a place these days where I have a lot of time to uh, to get into to uh, to media. Sadly, um, I don't even uh, at this point uh, run most of my social media. I have a friend, an amazing friend that that is helping me out with that. But um, the something that caught my eye recently it was a, a pretty quick watch. It's something on Netflix called Poisoned. Um, and uh, it's as intense as it sounds, um, but I think it's necessary for folks. And it's really just all around the, the, um, the food safety and contamination issues that uh, America's food system uh, experiences, and it's getting worse. And it's really due to, to poor, poor labor practices around how we handle food. Um, and it just makes me wonder, like, you know, food is medicine, and we hold doctors to a very high regard in terms of, you know, what they do and, and, and then what we put in our body. I don't get why we don't see food as the same thing. I just don't get it. And, um, and that's kind of what this, this documentary is, is um, showcasing. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart. It's going to make you kind of think twice about when you go food shopping. Um, I think the best solution is, you know, not so much looking at the label, but, you know, know your chef. He's your doctor and, and he's your local food doctor. And, um, and they, they kind of do a good job in making sure things are safe because that's where their passion lies. So a short answer, Poisoned on Netflix has been the thing that's really motivating me recently. Okay. Definitely have to check that. I've not seen that one. And lastly, how can listeners reach you? Um, I think the best way for listeners to reach us, um, would be uh, going to our Instagram account. Um, I get overwhelmed nowadays with all the social media platforms. Uh, I happen to, you know, grow up in the era of Instagram uh, launching and being cool. Uh, I think maybe it's not anymore, according to the twenty-year-olds. And I know, you know, our parents are—they're out—they're out there on Facebook. <laughs> so um, we're, we're on those platforms. But if you want to get onto Instagram um, and check us out. You know, where where that gives you a really deep look behind the scenes of our farm operation, our mission, who we are, the farmers, our passion, our partners. Uh, in fact, so much so we've even rolled out a, a media arm where we've been producing branded content with with our partners to show who's behind the hyper local food system. So there's a lot of cool stuff on there to, to, to see. And um, and I still actually am going on there and responding to messages. I don't um, manage the content, but I do, I am the one communicating. So if you just, you know, Google hundred acre farm or whatever, you can, you could find us specifically. It's hundred acre 
uh, all one word, underscore MKE. Mm-hmm. Great. I'll have links to that on there too. So, well, thanks so much for your time today and sharing your story, the amazing things you're doing for Milwaukee. And thank you everybody for listening. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Into your